Amen. In the bulletin, you'll see a title. It's kind of a weird title. I don't know. Does anybody recognize the title? Et tu brute. It's, it's Latin. Et tu brute. If you don't, I'll go through my explanation of it and kind of how I got to that point. I work in Traverse City, and I have a drive. And when I'm out of work, like I said last time, I work in special education. I work with autistic children. And sometimes silence on the way home is completely golden. And so I think, and sometimes my mind just wanders about. And so I got to a point where I started thinking about Shakespeare. And um, I can take that back a few notches for you. 10th grade literature class. I was in school down in Detroit area. And I had a literature class, English literature. It's kind of just a mixture of literature classes. Um, While I was in school. And the teacher was a little bit nasty. She liked to throw erasers at you if you chatted in class. And so I shared a desk area with my friend Eric, and let me just say I had quite the collection of erasers by the time the, the class ended that year. But, you know, as I'm thinking about it, and I think about how I got through school and how I got through some of these classes, I really don't know how I did it. But I passed them. So, I mean, I obviously passed them, and I don't know how. But, you know, as I'm driving along and I'm thinking about things, all of a sudden the term etu brute comes into my mind. And this is derived from a Shakespearean tragedy entitled Julius Caesar. So, Julius Caesar, what this is derived from, it's called the Ides of March. So, when Julius Caesar was in, in, in power, he was eventually assassinated. He was put into a, um, he was in a theater, he was walking in, and he was attacked by the senators at the time. The senators um, didn't get along with him because what he had a tendency to do is he was a general and he started to kind of lean towards the common man and the royalty of this or I guess it would be the, the not royalty but the, um, the prominent of the time didn't enjoy that and so they decided to take and assassinate him for it. And according to Shakespeare version of it as he's being stabbed repeatedly the end, the end stab was performed by his protege, Brutus. And as he's being stabbed, he looks up in Brutus's eyes and he quotes, et tu, Brute, which in English in translation says, you too, Brutus? You too, Brutus. Um, and so I was thinking about this because, you know, sometimes I do and I think about strange things and I think about what I could do like a sermon on and I thought, hey, why not do it on Shakespeare? And Mrs. Rendon, my literature teacher, wherever she's at, I have got her erasers, and I have obviously absorbed something from her class. So as Shakespeare goes, that term wasn't actually quoted by Julius Caesar. That was all put in there for dramatic purposes. Because as you're reading it, what gets you into that emotional pull is the emotional pull is that the fact is Julius Caesar was attacked, but in order to make it more dramatic for a playwright, you want to put a personal aspect into it. And that personal aspect would be a protege who truly did stab Julius Caesar, but it's not really quite known exactly what Julius Caesar said to him. But it's common fact that he did not utter those words to him. But the drama 
that we have, I want to just fit into it as the words being used, the attacks of the words. And what I want to talk about was the betrayal, the betrayal that we find within our words, the, the betrayal that we find within many of our walks and lives. And what we want to do is I want to open up scripture right away because there's not a lot of time. And truly, this could be a great study to just go ahead and just delve into. And so what I want to do is I want to go into the book of Ezekiel. If you can if you flip with me to Ezekiel, I've got a thousand different methods for having my... And this kind of goes into a proportion of the other thought because, you know, I don't know if anybody else has ever had the thought, but when you think about a war in heaven and you think about, like, betrayals and things like that, I was coming to the conclusion of, like, you know, what took place in heaven? What exactly, what exactly was taking place when Satan was removed or Lucifer was removed from heaven? And I think this will be like something that we're going to try and ball up together and to work with it. But if you read with me in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28, verses, let's say, 14 and 15. No, 15 and 16. Verses 14, or 15 and 16, Ezekiel 28. And it says this. This is, this is, we're talking about Lucifer. You are perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found within you. By the abundance, and my version says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. By the abundance of your trading. And so this is the fault that we find that Lucifer had that got him into the position he was in, because by the abundance of his trading, he became with violence within. So it wasn't outward violence, it was internal violence, this was internal hatred. And this was also something that, it says, created the sin. So what was that trading? What was that? What was he trading? What was he merchandising? Because some versions do say merchandising as well. And to do a, a, a study on this, because you want to figure out what exactly is taking place. The next step I want to go to is in the second Samuel. Because I think this will give us a little bit more of a, an idea of what was taking place and what created that fall from heaven. And so second Samuel 15. And we'll do verses 1 to... Now, really quickly, what this is taking place now is this is a story of Absalom. Absalom being the the son of David. And Absalom was considered to be, you know, as ironic as it is, is if you read Ezekiel and how it's described of of Lucifer comparably to Absalom, beauty was a, a, a descriptive word. Um, uh, the, 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 the idea that he was, he was popular amongst the people and popular amongst, obviously, Lucifer was amongst the angels. And so this is called in my Bible about Absalom's treason. And I want to just keep in mind, think about it. We're talking about trading. We're talking about merchandising. This is what came the fall of, of, of Lucifer from heaven. And it says in 2 Samuel 15, verse 1, After this happened, that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. 
Now Absalom would rise early in the morning, this is where it says, and stand beside the way of the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call for him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who was any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. Now, if we take and we can see that the, the terminology here is, is pretty, pretty apparent when you talk about trading. So what was Lucifer trading? In the same comparisons of what Absalom was trading, he was trading his services by saying, look at me. Look at me, I can do this. In Ezekiel, you can read on, and it will talk about how he felt like he was like the Most High, and he wanted to be sat above the Most High. I am better, I am greater, I am greater. Absalom was doing the exact same thing. Now, his father, David, was king, and he felt it right to stand at the gate, bring people in, and get people sympathetic to his cause. Now, we know that if we look back into it, we can see the sympathy that Satan routed because he was able to not just convince a third of the angels, but I mean, on this earth today, he could probably convince 99.9% of us because we all fall within that. So what's the point? How does this fall into the start of, of Et Tu Brute on this whole thing? Because what I want to talk about is I want to talk about how sly and how simplistically useful the words are that they used. Satan was able to use his words to trade and to commit basically heresy within his heart and cause a, 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 a war in heaven. Now, we also want to call that a war in heaven, but man, that war is going on right now. I mean, we're still fighting in that exact same war. That's something that we're dealing with today. So no matter what we call about the war in heaven, we're fighting that exact same war. And the same thing takes place when we look at the, the words of Absalom and how Absalom was. Absalom decided that he didn't have any respect for who his father was. His father was king, but he wanted to, he wanted to bring people in to sympathize with his cause. Now, all this is being done, but we see without violence. No violence being done. This is all being done through the words of our mouth. So therein, we can all go into James chapter 3, where the study gets a little bit bigger. James chapter 3 is one of those chapters that can really hit hard. And what it talks about is it talks about what we do with our words. And we have to be very careful with our words because what we find is, is that more than anything else, we had an old children saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Obviously, we know nowadays that that is a complete lie because if there's anything that can kind of like rotate over and over and ruminate in our minds, it's the words of people. We can vision, we can visionize or visualize um, actions that partake, but when they have those words, those words hit hard. And we find that exactly when, when, when somebody repeats those words, what that actually does inside of us when we hear those exact same words. Now, I grew up in a situation where there wasn't a lot of positive words, and there wasn't any words at all, to be truthful with you. There wasn't a lot of supportive words. And so when I hear supportive words now, my reaction is like, is that even real? Like, what are they trying to say? Like, are they trying to set me up for something? Because, hey, you did really good. It's like, okay, what do you want from me now? 
instead of being like, oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate those supportive words. But when we use these words when it comes to, like, let's, let's talk about within church, because we all sit here together, and we all have these flaws. And I want to be able to just partake in the fact that, you know, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of moving and shaking that's going on right now. We have a lot of people that are working on some ministries. We can go on down, we can talk about the school and how the school works. We can talk about Youth of His Message. We can talk about Pathfinders and Adventures. We can go ahead and talk about... Um, field work, where these kids are going out and doing this thing. And, and Mr. Schaefer just had a great, just a, a great uh, message this morning where the people that he knew talked about what impact that had on their lives. But how dare us, if we ever decide to use those exact same words, to bash and to critique and to try and placate what we think we can do better? Because those are the things that damage what we have as a unified church. Those are the things that damage what we're trying to accomplish here. Because by all means, we're here for a reason. And that reason isn't to sit there and treat each other as strangers, but we're supposed to treat each other as a little bit more of a family origination. And so when James goes in, let's talk about the tongue real quick before I go into anything else. The tongue. James, chapter 3. And it's going to be the whole thing. It's going to be James chapter 3, 1 through 12. And we can, I'll stop and we'll just have a discussion about it. This is my brethren. This is from the King James Version. Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whatsoever the governor listens. Just going into the idea that you could take, uh, I mean, what's the average weight of a horse? I mean, I just know how much they eat, and they eat like 2,000 pounds, okay? So it's like a 1,000-pound horse. You attach something in their mouth, you can turn them any which way they want to go. A ship can be turned by a rudder. A great ship can be turned by a rudder. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a word, a world of iniquity, so is a tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and settles on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Now, I can give my own personal examples, and I can't really go too great in detail, because like I always say, um, we have a sign-up sheet in our house because the girls are doing like the sign-up for children's story. And I'd love to do a children's story, but a lot of times I can't give children's stories because I don't have children's stories. I have stories, but not children's stories. And... <laughs> And, you know, and, and I remember, I remember, like, you know, I don't know what it was in my life that what people wanted to, like, make my life like the Marine Corps, you know, whatever, um, they, they, would, they would build me down, or they'd knock me down to build me up. And I can think of all the names I was called. I can think of all the names I was called by parental figures, by brothers, um, you know, God love them. Um, it... it <laughs> And 
those things have an effect on you. If you can take and have some humor about it, then, you know, that's a God thing because most people don't have humor about what they've been called and what has been said to them. But at the same time, when we think about it, when you say something, and maybe we'll even go into the fact we're talking about a phone and we send something, you can't pull that back. You know, they always talk about that when you get those emails at work and you really want to just, like, nail off a scathing one just to, like, really let that person have it. And the next thing you know, uh, they say, like, wait a day. Wait a day and find out how you feel after you slept, you know, slept on it. But a lot of times our words, man, we just say those things and we just let them rip. We'll say something and we don't understand the impact it has until we can see, like, the furrowed brow of the receiver. We see, like, maybe, like, tears well up or... Or maybe, maybe they said something like, you know, that really hurt. Or that's really not true. And that's what I want to get the point of because, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that we come in contact with that we have to make sure that what we're saying, we're being very Christian about it, that we understand who we are. Because in all the facts of the matter is, you know what, I mean, I think a lot of us that didn't grow up in a church like this, we may have had a lot of background, we got a lot of baggage that we have, and we could definitely pull that baggage out really quick. And we can say things, and we can do things, and then we'll just pick up the ashes, and we can sweep up the ashes later. But the object is, is that I think as a church, we need to just realize that we're unified, and we've got to unify in one another thing. And it's like, it's going to have to be as Paul admonishes throughout like, a lot of the Corinthians, it's going to be, have to be that love that we have for one another and that brotherly love. Because when we, we think that we're going to be better than everyone else, we're going to start using the words. Because that's when betrayal really comes out, when it, when it comes out um, more than anything else. It says that one thing that we have to understand, and I brought up the idea of Ezekiel first, is that when betrayal comes into, in, into our house or comes into our lives through the use of the tongue, we have to understand that God went through the exact same thing. And that's the idea behind Ezekiel. Ezekiel helps us to understand like what God is dealing with. God is dealing with um, a, a creation that doesn't know his character. God is trying to, in this, day, in this day and age, trying to uphold his character. That's why Jesus came to this earth. Jesus came to this earth to show God's character to his people. And throughout it, we have used our tongues, we use our mouths to fight that. We've put on, our, on, we've put on a tag on ourselves that says that we're Christians, yet sometimes we still use our mouths to fight that idea of what God's been trying to protect all this time. Now, when we read that in Ezekiel, we can see this is actually something that caused a war in heaven. This is actually the thing that created an adversary, were those words. Why? Why? What does that cause? What causes betrayal? We have lust for power. That's what we see with Ezekiel. That's what we see with Absalom. There's a lust for power, and it leads to manipulative tactics. It's, t- it's a tendency is like we almost want to play chess with one another. Who can make the first move and wants the return move? And then if we can make that kill, we'll make that kill. The betrayal of a fellow child of God is dangerously close to betrayal of our master. Isaiah says, Woe to you, O destroyer, never destroyed. O traitor, never betrayed. When you have finished destroying, you will be destroyed. When you have finished betraying, you will be de- betrayed. 
So what do we do about this? Like I said, we have, we have to live in a little bit of love, and I think that the easiest thing for some of us who don't know how to show that properly is, like, let's live in a little bit of humility. Humility is a lot easier to show than love. Humility basically is the forgotten agenda that we need to have. Humility is going to be able to allow us to step back from ourselves and take that time to think. Like we were talking about with the email or the, talk, or, or, the, or the, you know what, maybe we just want to destroy somebody for something that they said we want to say it, but if we could take the time to step back for a little while, that's humility. Humility is not trying to figure out if we can one-up the person all the time. Humility is going to allow us to sit there and say, you know what, I don't know who they are, I don't know where they're at right now, let's just hold off on that. Because more than anything else, I always thought it was kind of a goofy little thing I heard one time. It says that, um, you know what, when we sit in church, I guess the example is, is we're all trees. We're all some kind of tree or some kind of bush. And we're all bearing fruit. But the problem is, is are we bearing the same fruit? Because in all honesty, it's like when we talk about the, by, by, by your fruits we shall know you, it's like what fruit are you showing? What fruit is, being, is coming out in the end? You know, what words are we using? What are we showing people who we are by the actions, by the words that we use? And what we need to do is, we, like I said, we need to go through that, 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 that humble exhortation of this all. And by that, by that grace, we can find that we're going to be able to react to people. We're going to be able to meet, meet them where they're at. And we're going to be able to honestly face our own feelings because when it comes to this walk we have, what we're trying to do is we're trying to sculpt character. We'll go back to character a lot. We'll talk about God's character and we're going to talk about our own character and about how that character needs to be sculpted. And unfortunately, we have to allow ourselves not to be shaped by experiences because, like I said, I could have a bad experience as I'm going through the people I've, that, have, that have talked to me in life, but it's not shaping me. You know, it's not going to be my shape. It's not going to be who I am. So how do we get past all this? The Holy Spirit assures that the pain that we have, the pain that we, we, we hand out is Christ's. If you're being shaped, you're also being refined. If you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, then what we have is we have the work of the Spirit within us. One has to continuously shy away from bitterness and fixation on the betrayal and those who did it. One has to avoid rallying others around the cause in such a way that it causes parties to be formed. What we have to do is realize is that we are fixed on the party of being in, being in Christ's party, not each other's party. We can't have factions. We have to understand that what we're doing is we're, we're fighting the same exact cause. When I had mentioned this idea and I talked about the quotation, et tu brute, you know, when, when you think about the fact that somebody's dying, and they're looking up at you, and you've got a dagger in your hand. And they dare look in your eyes, and they say, you too. You too. And the daggers that we use, a lot of times, are going to be our words. But you know what? It's like, I know I'd mentioned this to my wife. It's like, 
You know, how many times have we done that to God? How many times have we actually had him look at us and say, you too, you as well? As we're stabbing people, as we're, as we're, as we're, as we're trying to cut them into pieces, and we're trying to prove a point to them that really honestly doesn't get us any further than where we're at. Sometimes we do it just for our own sakes, but we have to look at it and we have to figure to ourselves, you know, who are we trying to be? What are we trying to do? We have a focus in mind. We have a goal in mind. And let me get back to that whole idea really quick before we end, is that, you know, we don't want to be in the position where we're constantly being asked, you know, what are we doing right? What are you, what are you doing right? We want to make sure that we are just doing it. Because we have a focus as a church and what we need to do is we need to just kind of come together a little bit more. Paul talks about knitting that, knitting that love, knitting that idea of being together. And I know Michelle's come up here and she's talked about, you know, you're the people I love. And that's a hard thing to say. That is a hard thing to say sometimes when we don't know each other and we don't have a lot of those togetherness qualities. But you know what? Coming from a person who was adopted children and had gone to different countries to get them, you can love them. You can love eventually. You don't have to be like biologically connected. You can eventually love a person that you don't have, that, you, that, that you're just getting to know. You can come into an adulthood and love somebody. You can love a child as soon as they walk into your home and knowing that, that your focus is going to be taking care of them and raising them. And you can love a church. You can love a church and you can love everything about them, but what we have to understand is, is that the curse that we're going to place upon this isn't going to be a physical one. It's going to be our mouths. Our mouths are going to destroy it. Our mouths are going to be able to rip out the hearts of the people around us and not support what they're doing. So every day it's like, let's pray. Let's pray for the ministries that are going on out there. You know what? If somebody's doing it, that just means that it's being done. And, and you know, be thankful for that. I'm thankful that we have a church school. I'm thankful that we have a radio station. I'm thankful for the people that are volunteering their times and doing this. I'm thankful that every other week I'm dropping my kids off here and they're working with godly people and being able to talk about with godly kids. I'm thankful that they went down to Lansing this weekend. You know, and I don't know what they do. I didn't go. I was taking care of some other kids. But when Mr. Schaefer's reading off that, that um, Facebook quote that he had this morning, that was... That set it to me. That set it up. And I knew that they were down there and they were doing the good work. So what we have to do is we have to support them by saying, good job. Good job. You know, thank you. Good job. Um, what can I do to help? That's a good one. Or even the fact of, like, you know, I can't do it, so let me pray for you on that whole aspect. Because every one of these duties is pushing it forward. We can go into great detail about statistics on Pathfinders and Adventures. We can go into great detail about the statistics of a church school. We can talk about how many people are reached through the radio station. But if we're not going to physically support them, then let's not have our words be the thing that's attacking them. More than anything else, let us be supportive of these ministries because, you know what, there could be another one that grows up next week. There could be another one that grows up next year that's something that's not being done in our community because the less the community knows about us, the more that we're going to just be, like, regretting what we've ever done. So let us have prayer. I hope I wasn't too preachy. (laughs) All right. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. Help us to just remember what you've done for us by our words, by our actions, and by the fruits that we show. We don't want to be judged by anything that we've come to condemn people with, but allow us to be able to retroactively go back and to swallow those things up, be humble in our approaches, and remember, Lord, that you suffered much, much more than we ever have. The daggers in each one of our hands. And each time that we've done something wrong, you've looked at us and said, you too, you too. Help us to drop it and help us to embrace and help us to remember that you are preparing something for us and may we deserve it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.